You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. We're talking about sex goes beyond the taboos and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love, where talking about sex goes beyond the taboo and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court, and I'm very excited today to introduce my guest, who is Dr. Jessica Topper, a licensed marriage and family therapist at the Center for Relationship and Sexual Health in Royal Oak, Michigan. Jessica completed her PhD at Michigan State University in Human Development and Family Studies with a specialization in couple and family therapy. She also has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from Michigan State University. Her work in research and clinical is driven by an interest in family dynamics. Jessica especially is interested in family dynamics around sibling relationships, as well as family dynamics around family members diagnosed with a developmental disability. She also works with those facing challenges involving anxiety, depression, premature, I'm sorry, premarital issues, relationship conflicts, divorce, remarriage, and stressors related to autism spectrum disorders and ADHD. She completed the sign language interpreters program at Oakland Community College as well. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks, Joe. How's it going? It's going all right. All right. Full disclosure, the Center for Relationship and Sexual Health is our center, and Jessica has worked with us now, I think, how long has it been? It's a little over two years. We just had our two-year anniversary. Oh, oh, that's right. I didn't. I knew we had our anniversary, obviously, because I uh, commented on it, but I didn't know it was two years. Wow. Yes. That yeah. went by fast. One, two years and one baby. Exactly. It's gone really fast. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want listeners to understand what a licensed and marriage family uh, therapist does. And could you describe that? Sure. So um, licensed marriage and family therapist, marriage and family therapy as a whole um, is sort of a sister to psychology. So it is a separate degree, a separate field, sort of like social work is a separate degree, separate field. Um, And we focus on systemic issues within relationships. Um, So we look at the person's um, in context, we look at their relationships, we look at factors that influence their relationships. We look at um, work and other stressors and, and we can work with people in a relational aspect or we can work with people individually, but our focus is on that, that system and the interplay between all of the things within the system. That makes sense. I, well, I would have probably become a licensed marriage and family therapist had that been available here in, in Michigan in, in the 80s. But I don't even know. Is it? Did you get your degree here in Michigan? I did at Michigan State. Yeah. Okay. So it is a it, it's not a baby field anymore, but it compared to psychology and social work, it is relatively new. Yeah. And but much more common, like in California, it seems right when I go out Absolutely. there. Yeah. Like they have their own conferences and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. There is an annual conference every year. Uh, And in Michigan, we used to have a chapter, but it kind of dissolved away. And now I think there's more of a regional 
you know, Midwest regional chapter. Ah, that makes sense. I like the the title because it's clear to people what they're coming in for marriage and family. And while I can specialize in that, when they see my MSW or my PhD, they don't know what that means, you know? So yours does. Exactly. I wish that as a field, we made the shift to couple and family. Most of the programs have gone through the name change to couple and family therapy programs from marriage and family. Um, because I think that that is sort of a barrier for people still a little bit is, oh, I'm not married. So, you know, I, I don't fit. Oh, um, good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, because a lot of people don't want to get married or aren't married or they're just partnered or whatever. So you're right. It should really have they ever talked about that in the field? It, it, it With all things, as you know, it takes time. Yes. Uh, like I said, the programs have all changed names. For the most part, I I think there are very few that are still MFT programs. Most of them now are CFT programs. And even when I was at Michigan State, we made a switch over in Ah. my tenure there. Uh, I started as an MFT program and it became a CFT by the time I graduated. So So then how do you determine if therapy you provide should be for individual couples or the entire family unit? I Typically recommend if we are going to be working on anything relational, it's best to have the relationship in front of me um, and in present and in the room. Um, However, there are times that that's not possible. Uh, Logistically, maybe, you know, people live in different states. Um, Maybe they're not comfortable. Maybe the relationship is not one that it's safe for both people to be in the room. So generally, I... If people are more comfortable coming in the first time by themselves, and as we're talking, what we're focusing on is my relationship, stress with my partner, we're fighting a lot, and everything kind of comes back to that family dynamic or that relational dynamic. That is the point I usually say, are you interested in possibly doing therapy with your family or with Mm. your partner Um, and, and gauging it from there? So it's kind of a, if we then shift to a more relational focus, then I will typically meet with the other partner, either one-on-one if they're comfortable with that Mm -hmm. or in a group, but focus on meeting with the other person for that first session rather than focusing on the couple. So it's a progression, but generally if that is the focus of what the stress is or what the issue presenting for therapy is, I will typically ask if the person's comfortable in making that jump over. It makes sense. And what I love about your work is the inclusion of siblings. You know, our field has been neglectful about the the importance of siblings. And sometimes they're more important than the parents, the, the impact and the imprinting. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I, I think that siblings are our training wheels, if you will. Mm. Um, they're our first interaction. They're the first people that teach us all of our pro-social and sometimes antisocial behaviors. <laughs> it's where we try out things. You know, we try out if I hit you to take the toy, how is that going to work out for me? Um, <laughs> versus if I ask nicely. And so we learn how to interact with other people our age through our siblings. Um, and that creates that lifelong bond. Which then, you know, siblings are with us our whole lives. Yes. We... we They are our support system, ideally. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Um, But they're there to be our support system for our life. And so I I think that focusing on that, especially 
early childhood, mid-childhood into the teenage years is, is very important because, again, those relationships can be lifelong. And so if you establish a solid supporting relationship early on, then you have it throughout your life. I love the way you're saying this. I really believe that most people don't think like this and a lot of therapists don't. And I have to be honest, I don't know that I have either until you just put it into words here. I ask about siblings more because our field is going in that direction or made me aware of it. But um, the way you just said it, it's, it really stresses the importance. Yeah. I think, you know, it's neglected because oftentimes when people call for therapy, they're not like my sibling and I don't get along. (laughs) Right. But when you talk to them and you take a family history, it's like, so tell me what your relationships were like growing up. Oh, well, you know, I'm not that close with my siblings now. I wasn't then. Okay, so tell me about your friendships. Well, I don't really have that many. Well, I mean, if you look big picture, perhaps that's because the skills for building those lifelong relationships were not there with the siblings. And so now your support system's small in adulthood because you're lacking the skills and that's something we can address and you could try it out with your family because your family, again, are your training wheels. That's that's super well said. I think Um, I like what I was thinking about when my nephews were little and they were in preschool and their two brothers, she has three boys and a girl, my sister had, and the two boys were together and they would like have an argument or something or fight over a toy. And the teacher would say, brothers forever, brothers forever. This has got to be worked out. I used to love when she'd say that because it's what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. And again, it's practice. It's good. You conflict resolution, communication, sharing, you know, all of those things you practice with your siblings. And if you can have those be supportive, positive relationships, then those skills transfer to all other relationships. Well, let's dive a little bit deeper and go right into the question that people ask and talk about. Do happy and healthy families really exist? I think they do. I think they do. I think they can. And I think all relationships have potential. Um, Now, that's not to say I live in like la la land with unicorns and rainbows everywhere. (laughs) But I do think that there's potential within relationships. It's just about the work you want to put in, the commitment to doing the work, and making sure that you are on the same page as far as goals. Um, You can't want it more than someone and you can't want it for them. They have to want it for themselves. And so that commitment to doing the work and to being present and to that common goal is really, I think, what's at the core of happy, healthy families. I love what you're saying because so many people feel like, well, since we are family, since I'm your sibling, since I'm your mother or your father, then then uh, just that in and of itself is enough that we should be getting along and I shouldn't have to put work in. It's ridiculous. It is. It's. I mean, people come to me and the number one thing I hear from couples that are married, you know, three, four years, marriage shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this much work. No, it is. It's work for everyone. It's It's a active living process. You have to constantly be working on it. It's not a checkbox that, okay, I'm married. Now what's the next thing? Yeah. Right. You have to do it. You have to be engaged. It's so true. I know people do come into the office, right. And they think, well, you know, if it's this hard, then it should, it's not, maybe we're not meant to be together. And my Imago training tells us, and I agree with this, that if it's this hard, uh, you should be together. That's, that's the work. Exactly. Exactly. Anything that's worth doing, you know, takes effort. 
Yes. Now, of course, if you have a, a partner who's has untreated addiction or won't get help or domestic violence, or you're not safe or non-consent, those are not the kinds of things we're talking about. Right. Of course not. Of course not. It's, you know, above all else, you have to be healthy and safe as a person, as an individual. And if both people are healthy and happy as individuals, then they create healthy, happy families. Yes. So can you also talk about parents that put their relationship on hold while they're raising their kids and then the kids are grown and gone and they don't know each other anymore? How can that be prevented? So the number one thing, I I give three things for homework. The first session, I am a homework giver therapist. Um, Do they do the homework though? They never do it with me. Um, I I have... It's not above 50%, but I have some success rate. <laughs> All right, good. You're probably more stern. Um, I the, I give three things for homework the first session. The the first one is always, let's come up with some goals. Um, and I don't want you to tell me today because when we're put on the spot, we don't think about it. We just kind of say and blurt out whatever comes to mind. So I want you to go home. You've had this first session. You've spilled your guts about why you're coming. You've got that frustration out. Now take a couple days. Think about what you want to achieve in therapy, how we can work on it, and come back to me with those goals. Everyone gets that one. Um, I use the second one that everybody gets, and then I have, like, the other ones that are alternate for the third. But the second one that everyone gets, I call the till death do you part or otherwise homework. And this is my how I address this relationship on hold question. I say to people, you need to do at least one date night every week, every week. I don't care how busy you are. I don't care what's going on. If you're not putting your relationship as a priority, then it's not going to survive. It's like a plant. If you don't water the plant regularly, it's not going to survive. And so I give them the rules like date nights don't mean you have to go out and spend money. Date nights don't mean that you have to plan these extravagant things that take hours upon hours. Mm -hmm. Date night is simply one hour a week where you guys are giving devoted un, um, uninterrupted, uninterrupted. Yes. Uninterrupted time to each other. Phones are away. You are being intentional about dating. You're not talking about your business. You're not talking finances, kids, scheduling, none of that. You're there to just enjoy each other and have fun. And typically when I see the couples that are farther gone, if you will, you know, considering divorce, really not happy with each other, really having trouble. They look at me and they roll their eyes and they're like, Jessica, like, what are we going to talk about for an hour? <laughs> I like the, yeah. And so I say to them, well, you clearly liked each other enough when you started this, that you enjoyed dating. See if you can find that again. You're different people. See what you've you find that you like about your partner now no pressure you know watch a movie that's pretty low stress Mm -hmm. play a game cook dinner together whatever but it just needs to be uninterrupted intentional engaged time where you're just dating having fun i I really really like that and and it's so what you're saying is so easy it's not like they have to jump through all these hoops like you say it's just being naturally with each other although I have to admit that an hour away from my phone might feel like death, but I think I could do it. (laughs) Right. Right. And I I tell them I pick an hour because you come to see me for an hour. So Mm. this counteracts it. You're doing the hard work. You're possibly struggling. You're probably hating me because I'm pushing you pretty hard (laughs) and you may leave not feeling great. So this date night balances it out because it's an opportunity for you guys to have fun together and 
and enjoy time. Whereas therapy, because it's meant to push and it's meant to help you change and reach those goals may not be fun. Right. And I like, it may not be. Exactly. Well, I like what you're talking and I talk about it too. Pleasure bonding, right? There's so much frustration and so much things that distance you. Pleasure bonding reminds you of, of why you're with this person and what you enjoy about them. Exactly. And when you are so caught up in kids and schedules and work and, 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 and you don't notice how people change over time. We're always constantly changing. So you may not even know who your partner is anymore. It's, it's a great way to keep in touch with who your person, your partner is and the person they're becoming every day. Now let's talk about issues in the bedroom. Um, how do you help a couple with intimacy issues? Um, so I firmly believe that the majority, not all, but the majority of intimacy issues and sexual dysfunction comes as a symptom of other issues. Um, and that the reason that it is so noticeable to people is because sex is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's usually their first sign of like, oh, this isn't going well. Like, oh, we argue, but that's fine. But now sex isn't good. Yeah, something's wrong in our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I typically tell them um, that the sex isn't going to get better till the other stuff gets better, but it'll be a good thermometer. So let's work on some of that other stuff. And you guys can keep trying to be intimate, whether that means sex or that means other things. Um, and we'll see if it improves. That's very good. And it's true. And I, and you ask about intimacy issues in the room, right? Of course. Of course. Yeah. You know, because I do think it's a symptom. Although I will say most couples, when they come to see me, it is in their top two or three things that yeah. is wrong with the marriage. Yeah. And the work of Barry McCarthy, if, I don't know if you know him, but he talks about how that's the number one reason sex going badly that or are gone that especially within the first two years if someone's going to cheat it's going to be right there because Mm -hmm. they think look what you just said something's wrong it's not not the right marriage and they get scared yep absolutely um what about the baggage couples bring into the marriage how do you help these individuals who have some deep-seated issues from their past uh, that they can't get past So I consider myself to be an experiential therapist. So a lot of what I do is through activity. I'm not above having adults play. I'm not having above, I'm not above having adults color and do arts and crafts and that sort of thing. Um, Mostly because I think that talking has its place and it has its value, but we spend a whole lot of time talking about what we're going to do different instead of doing what we're going to do different. And so one of the things that I do around baggage is I actually have like a little worksheet that is a a luggage um, picture. Mm. And I, I tell them, I say, you know, we've all done this where we packed for a trip. And when we got home, we emptied the suitcase 90%. And then when we take it out again, we're like, where did this thing come from? And this thing come. And so we carry around this baggage that just kind of builds up over time. And if we just clean the suitcase out, it would make the, the load lighter. Mm-hmm. So I actually have them fill out their baggage of all of the things, big, small, and in the middle, that they're carrying from the beginning of the relationship and anything that may be triggered by the relationship. So things that they may come in with, um, where maybe their dad was a yeller. And so when their husband or wife yells, you know, that triggers for them. Um, and we go through and we spend a session unpacking it where we just kind of make the list 
Um, and then I say to them, okay, so which ones of these things do you think you're carrying just because you feel like you should be carrying it and you don't actually need to carry it anymore? Mm. Great. Let's get rid of that. Okay. So that leaves us, you know, maybe the list was 20 long to begin with. Maybe that leaves us 12 things left. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start working on it. Let's start engaging together on this. And that's just kind of how I do it. I, I, what's, I appreciate so much, and I think couples would too, is you have tools. These are tools. These are concrete things. They're not just coming in and going over their most recent argument all the time. Right. Absolutely. I know couple therapists do that, and uh, it can relieve the couple in that, in that argument, in that session, but you're not going to the root of things, and you are. Right. I do think that there is value in it. Absolutely. You know, if you are caught in a cycle of arguing, let's put the argument out there. Let's put it to bed and then let's get to work on the other stuff. Yeah. Do you know though, John Gottman, uh, I think he said like 67% of what couples argue about will never go away. You'll always argue about that over time. Yep. Yep. (laughs) It's high. I know. And people are like, what the fuck? Right. But I, I know in 28 years, Mike and I have the same argument over and over again. I know his lines. He knows my lines, but the best part is we do it. We anticipate it. It still could happen. It's shorter and the rupture it makes is much less. And the recovery time is much sooner. Absolutely. Because there's stuff under it. It's never, the argument is never fully about what the argument is about. And so if you can get rid of all that underlying baggage that feeds that argument, it makes that one smaller and smaller. There's certain things you're never going to see eye to eye on. That's just, we're not the same people. We're not drones, right? Like we, right. We don't, we're not programmed to all think the same way. So there's always going to be those things there. But if you can get rid of all the, the feeding aspect of that, take all that extra superfluous baggage away, then it makes those less and less tedious and less and less um, large and explosive. You hit the nail on the head um, that not everything is about sameness and differences are okay. And our, our country, our world is just growing away from that. What makes you different, makes you wrong, makes you bad. My opinion outweighs your opinion or your, your, even if you're research-based, it doesn't matter. My opinion, you know, it's like, it's, it's terrible and it doesn't work in relationship. Absolutely. So what about um, families have you, that you've worked with where you realize, or they realize we're not going to make it. Let's just uncouple. I don't want to do this anymore. How do you help them? Well, if it is just partner splitting, I think that that is a a slightly different process for me than if it is an established family with children. Um, Because oftentimes people will say to me, well, we're, we're trying to make it work and we're trying to stay together for the kids. It's better for the kids. And I I have to say to them all the time, if this is what the kids are being exposed to, this fighting and this unhappiness, you're modeling this unhealthiness for them. And so they're going to pick up on that and assume that that's okay in their future relationships. And you don't want that for them. So staying together for the kids is not the reason to stay together. Um, I agree 100%. And so when we get to that point, a lot of it shifts to, okay, let's find a way for us to put our hurt away because you're entitled to it, but it's not going to be helpful for the kids if your hurt drives this process. So let's put the hurt away and let's find a way to work together for the kids. What does co-parenting look like? You know, what goals do you guys have for that? What kind of relationship as co-parents do you want to have? Are you at a place where you can both be present at the same time for the kids and get along? 
if you're not there yet, then let's figure out how to work towards that. Let's mm-hmm. figure out how we can get there. Um, or, you know, let's negotiate some of that parenting. I, I'm not, I always tell them I am not a lawyer. I do not work for the court. I don't have those skills or that knowledge base, but I do know these are some of the things the court's going to ask you about parenting time. You know, how do you guys ideally want that split? Where do you guys stand on rules? And do you feel it's necessary to have the same rules in your house, um, separate houses? And that, so I do a lot of like helping them prepare for some of the things that court is going to ask when, you know, the marriage and the, the relationship dissolves. That's great. Um, with couples that are, are ending their relationship, I do offer, you know, a couple of sessions to, if they have things to split, like assets to split, if they want me to kind of be a third party neutral to help them have those conversations. I always give the stipulation again, I'm not a lawyer. I can't help with that. But if mm-hmm. you feel like me being here will help this conversation go smoother because I will be the one to be like, no, John, calm down because Sue is, you know, like, I can do that. I can, I can be there. Um, but typically I will then get the question, can we keep seeing you? And so my approach to that is I can only see one of you and I'm not going to choose. That's up to you guys. Mm. Um, I, it's not, ethically for me, it's not okay for me to keep seeing both of you. And people might ask, why not? What would you say? <sighs> It's hard for me to be able to fully maintain confidentiality and control bias because I know you guys as a couple, and then I'm going to hear you each talking separately, Mm. and there is no way, despite my best efforts, that I can keep that from blending. That's just how we are as people. You know, we, we have these schema, we have these little boxes, these file folders, if you will. And you guys started as one file folder in my brain, and that's how you exist. And while I can separate you, there's no way I can prevent it from fully blending. And so um, I, I just, to be fair to both of you, I cannot do it. I cannot let the one, despite my best efforts, I'm not, again, a robot. I'm a human, and I process all information I have. So. That makes total sense. What would you say, as we're coming to a close, any other advice that you could offer to keep a marriage, a family uh, unit strong? Do the work. I mean, again, it is work because it is its own living, growing entity. All Relationships are. They, they are not separate from us, but they're alive and they move as well and they grow and they change. And sometimes they get stuck despite us changing. I use an analogy often in therapy that it's like a slingshot. You know, each person is kind of the the post from which the relationship tension is is drawn. And if you change at different processes that are different speeds, that increases and messes with the tension. And so you have to keep your relationship growing so that it doesn't snap and break at the same, mm. you know. And so it takes work. And it's going to be hard sometimes, but that doesn't mean it needs to be hard all of the time. Um, it's just energy. Put energy into it. Make it a priority the same way you make anything else a priority. 
Yep. And to know the work, right? And that's why where you come in or therapists come in, they, they might want to do the work if they don't know what to do. And they try on their own. And sometimes or oftentimes it's, it doesn't work because they don't know what to do. They don't know what the real issue is. Like you say, what they're fighting about isn't really what they're fighting about. Right. And I would say my last piece of advice is to kind of trust your instinct. Um, I've had a lot of couples come into me and say, so do you think we're going to make it? Do you think this is going to work? My opinion is no other person, professional or not, should say to you, nope, your relationship's not going to work. End it. <laughs> right. um, it's not anybody else's place. Trust your instinct and know yourself. Know yourself well enough to know if you want to do the work, if you're able to do the work, if you're committed to doing the work. Deep down, you know. Deep down, you know if it's the right thing for you and if you can commit to it. Um, and so trust yourself. Don't go looking for other people to answer that question for you. Right. I like that. And and I think also that you know within yourself, you may not know it's going to work, but you know if you want to make it work. You really do know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah 100%. I know there are people, though, that come through and want to drop off. They don't maybe think they don't consciously know this, but they want to drop the partner off because they're done and they kind of phone in their their work. But it's really not work. You've seen those couples. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And there's yeah. nothing you can do. That's their decision. That's fine. Exactly. You know, and as a professional, my job then is to be like, well, if you both aren't committed to it or you feel like your partner's commitment is not enough, then you have a choice to make. Yes. All right. Thank you so much, Jessica. I knew this would be a great conversation and I wanted people to get to know you and what your degrees are. And um, so thank you for joining me today on Smart Sex, Smart Love. And if you want to contact Jessica, you can find her at the Center for Relationship and Sexual Health. And the website is crsh.com. And you can hear more of my podcasts at smartsexsmartlove.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, and my, all of my um, names there are at Dr. Joe Court, J-O-E-K-O-R-T, at Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court, and you can find me on joecourt.com. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T.com. See you next time.